For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. Good morning, everybody. So this is a very special day because Ancient Dragon is having an all-day sitting or an all-day sashin, which is the first one we've had since the pandemic started. So I have deep gratitude for that. Thank you, Fushin and David Ray for hosting online. And it's very important for us to experience this. And we're very grateful that we have the opportunity. Zen practice is very personal to us. It can be difficult to talk to other people about it. It can be difficult to express our feelings about it. Because for all of us engaged, there's something deeply personal that it touches. When we shine the light within, we start to, to know ourselves well. We know our complexity. We know our hindrances. We know our complications. And we get to know these things with brutal honesty. And this happens from our zazen, sitting on the cushion day after day. If you stay around long enough and practice Zen Buddhism, you'll start to hear a lot being said about relationship. 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 Us here in this community, even though we're online, we're in relationship to each other on a weekly basis. And having the the blessing of hearing each other's experience with the Dharma and hearing our Dharma brothers and sisters give us their experience creates a type of relationship for each individual to each individual, for each individual to all the members of the group even though we're experiencing it in a very unusual way. In Zen, you're going to hear that you can't be who you are in this moment without the people around you. So, for example, if I look at Hogetsu, hello, Hogetsu. So in this moment right now, Hogetsu and I are unique individuals because of our interaction with each other. That's unique to us, even though I know everybody else is here watching. And my relationship to all the other people is unique in comparison to my relationship to Hogetsu in that moment. Just like if I look at Michael, I haven't seen Michael in a a while. Hello, Michael. My response, my memories, my view is different because it's Michael. 
So now in this moment, I'm actually a different Paula as I'm gazing at Michael. And my experience of Michael is different, even though I know all of you are watching, you're still there. But even my experience of all of you watching me engage with Michael is slightly different. So this engagement we have throughout our lives, Zen tells us, if we stick around long enough, is the essence of our awakening, is the essence of our practice. Without the people in your life, without your parents, without your ancestors, you really can't be who you are in this moment. Everything about you as an an individual has happened in relationship between either two other people or you in relationship to them. But somehow, I think because we're meditating or something, we still think of awakening as a very personal thing that happens to all of us in a somewhat private setting. Dharma is usually translated as the truth of our reality or our natural law or sometimes the teaching of the truth of our reality or the teaching of the truth of our natural law. Awakening is understanding the nature of that reality. When we hear the word Buddha Dharma, which you will, through practice, touching the Buddha Dharma. Buddha Dharma is present all the time. In a way, you could say that's awakened reality. You're aware of the natural circumstance of things. I've been fortunate also, like many of us, because of the Zoom situation we're in, to be able to connect not only with all of you, but other people, And I found myself in an opportunity to study the Lotus Sutra with a group of people that are studying it right now. The Lotus Sutra is considered one of the, the last teachings of Shakyamuni Buddha, the historical Buddha. One of the last teachings he gave before he disappeared into Paranirvana, meaning he left this human realm in a physical sense because we know he's always with us all the time. In this sutra, it is full of all kinds of living creatures, all kinds, not only human beings, but fantastical, um, godlike creatures and dragons and mythical creatures and and everything that's in our realm, plant life, um, extraterrestrial life, everything is there. Anything the imagination could think of is in the sutra. The Lotus Sutra says, even though all these people are there, it embraces all of them at the same time because the Lotus Sutra teaches that we're actually all in one vehicle to awakening and nirvana or enlightenment or that we're just all in this boat together. So it's very interesting to experience the idea of all these different beings and realize that no matter how different they all are, we're kind of all in this together, all working towards awakening, all working towards ultimate enlightenment. 
So through the study of this Lotus, Lotus Sutra, this is what I heard. That teaching and being taught by others is our awakening. That teaching and being taught by others is our awakening. So, of course, when I heard this, I got very excited because I'm a teacher. And I've also been taught. But when you think about it, you know, I teach Kung Fu. Most people know that. But when you think about it, all of us in our lives have found moments, whether it's professional or not, that we've been teachers, whether to a friend, a parent to a child, a work situation. And we've also found ourselves in situations where we've been students across the spectrum of life. So even though I got pretty excited in that moment, when you really move back and expand the view of that, we all know the role of teacher and we all know the role of student. So awakening is available to all of us all the time in these roles. But when I heard that, I also thought about another story in Zen that I absolutely love. And forgive me to those of you who hear me tell it all the time. The person that's considered the the first patriarch of Zen Buddhism is a man, sometimes a female, named Bodhidharma who is believed to be a manifestation of a bodhisattva, Avalokiteshvara, which can appear as male or female. In this manifestation in China, in 527 CE, Bodhidharma sat in a cave for nine years, the legend says, practicing zazen, without eating, here's the legend of it, without eating, sleeping, or drinking. So oftentimes, because this is sort of amazing that someone could do that without taking any food or water or falling asleep, sometimes we forget and we focus on, wow, that's pretty awesome, and I I wonder if I could develop the, the energy to do something like that or the concentration. When I start, and this is also, this happened at the Shaolin Temple. So for people who do Shaolin Kung Fu, which is a martial art, you'll still hear that this is the root of Shaolin. But then you get confused because you go, well, Kung Fu and martial arts is about, you know, you're really banging with each other all the time. What is the fact that this person sat in a cave for nine years have to do with Kung Fu? But Shaolin is also a Zen practice. So if you hang around long enough, one of the Shaolin masters told me, Do you know this story? And I said, yes, I do. Bodhidharma sitting in the cave, nine years, no sleep, no food, no water. And he he said, that's the beginning of Kung Fu. And I said, yeah, I heard that. That's amazing. He goes, but it's not the sitting in the cave that's the beginning. It's him getting the first student. So I didn't tell you the rest of that story. As he was sitting there, one of the monks that was at Shaolin knew he was up there. So he finally came up and was sitting with him outside the caves, wondering if he needed anything. He never did. But then 
this monk named He Kwe Ka was amazed at Bodhidharma sitting. And he said, like I said, oh, you're sitting there, no food, no drink, no water. Man, this is pretty amazing. I want to be able to do that. So Hui Ka asked Bodhidharma if he would accept him as a student. And Bodhidharma said no. So this went on day after day. Hui Ka would make his appearance at the foot of the cave. He'd sit for a while. He'd ask Bodhidharma to accept him as a student. And Bodhidharma would always say no. The seasons pass. Summer turns, our spring turns to summer. Summer turns to autumn. And this process continues. Finally, one day in the autumn, let's say, Hueka says, Bodhidharma, will you please accept me as a student? And Bodhidharma says, Hueka, when the snow falls red from the sky, I will accept you as a student. So, of course, we know it never snows red from the sky. But anyway, it didn't discourage Hueka. So he continues on this process of coming back day after day. Finally, it's winter. Hueka is sitting outside the cave. The snow starts to fall. Of course, He's getting the same answer that when the snow falls red from the sky, I'll accept you as a student now. That's the new no that he's basically getting in a roundabout way. So the snow is falling and it's falling very heavy. And Hueka decides to sit there regardless. The snow comes up higher, comes up higher, comes up higher. But it's not falling red from the sky. Hueka looks to his left and he sees a sickle hanging on a tree that's used to cut fruit off of the trees when the trees are in bloom. He gets this idea, takes the sickle, he cuts off his left arm, he waves it around, so the blood splatters. I know, Matt, I know, right? (laughs) The blood splatters. And he says, Bodhidharma, Bodhidharma, look, the snow is falling red from the sky. Will you accept me as a student? And the story says that the universe was so impressed with the sacrifice of Hueka and his determination to be accepted and to study with Bodhidharma, to study the Dharma, the snow actually did start falling red from the sky. And Bodhidharma accepted him as a student. Now move forward to my Shaolin master. Michelle and Master says, no, 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 it's not him sitting in the cave. It's him getting Hueka together. Bodhidharma Hueka, student and teacher. This is the beginning of Kung Fu. Now, because of my Zen practice at Ancient Dragon, and I keep hearing about relationship, and the relationship of two beings together, working with each other and agreeing with each other and disagreeing with each other is actually awakening. I start thinking, oh, this must be what the Shaolin Master meant. It's this coming together of two people in relationship that is the heart and the essence of Zen. For the Dharma to be alive, I've heard this as well. For the Dharma to be alive, 
It needs to be turned. What does that mean, right? So I've heard that the Dharma turning us is considered delusion. Us turning the Dharma is awakening. The turning of reality is us in relationship to each other. But this is only where it starts, you know? Um, We have to interact, agree, disagree, question, challenge each other, challenge and question each other as a gift and an offering to each other. But question, 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 question. Disputes give us an amplified field for practice. So then I thought, if relationship is so important, is there another story in Buddhism that talks about relationship that's much older? Because obviously this is very important. So there's a story that close to the end of the historical Buddha's life, he knew he needed a successor. And before an assembly of 80,000 beings on spiritual mountain, the Buddha raised a flower and blinked his eyes. No one knew his meaning and all the people, all the beings there remained silent. Then Kashyapa alone broke into a smile. The Buddha said, I have the treasury of the eye of truth. I have the ineffable mind of nirvana and the formless teaching of complete illumination. I entrust it all to Kashyapa. In relationship to somebody else, I received this as a gift. I think you'll be able to see it. How did you feel in relationship to the lotus flower? This is the end of my talk, but it's also Martin Luther King Jr.'s holiday weekend. And I know um, Tigan always gives a Dharma talk around the uh, celebration of Martin Luther King's life. But I wanted to pull out a piece of the I Have a Dream speech that has more differentiation, but I feel... What I mean by differentiation is he's creating more of a a structure and a form for it between certain individual people and groups of people. But I think it implies, I could have changed the language in a sense so that it would apply to our life right now. We know there are certain situations, racial strife, 
Black Lives Matter, that it does still apply, but we can also broaden it out because we're in this crazy time. But now we could also broaden it out to the people who stormed the Capitol. Okay, but I'm going to read this paragraph directly and completely in his words. The marvelous new militancy which has engulfed the Negro community must not lead us. Must not lead us to a distrust of white people. For many of our white partners, as evidenced by their presence here today, have come to realize that their destiny is tied up with our destiny. And they have come to realize that their freedom is inextricably bound to our freedom. I offer this to all beings in my nation, in my world. Even the ones that displease me, even the ones that confuse me. But I will question and question and question. And as the example of our great Bodhisattva, Avalokiteshvara, I vow with my community to listen. So normally, we only have very short Q&A because we're in session. And we want the day to stay more settled. So we'll open up the floor for about 10 minutes. Those of us that are doing sashim will walk back into the sashim. But as far as I understand, those of you who would like to stay for further discussion, there will be a separate breakout room created for those of you who would like to continue with your normal Sunday service. But for now, If there's any questions or comments, feel free. I see Nicholas's hand raised. Hi, Nicholas. Hi. I just real quick just wanted to say thank you so much. And, you know, I'm I'm so I've been around long enough to many years to see the leadership of Ancient Dragon evolve and um, and evolve into great teachers for me, really. And uh, so I just, it's such an honor to be a part of the Sangha and to be a part of all of you who are, you know, blossoming out. And I can't wait to see what we become after the pandemic. And I guess, you know, I have to say to myself that, you know, since I see this transformation in all of you, I, I I must have transformed too. <laughs> Thank you. Nicholas, um, you know that you have been a big part of my evolution as a priest. 
your experience. Thank you. Um, Kathy, did you have your hand up? Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm seeing something on the screen. No, but I would like to just thank you very much for the Dharma talk. And, um, and, um, and it, it really brings it close to home in terms of realizing that we're, the Dharma is in our experiences. It's, it's not out there to learn. Um, it is in our interactions with each other. And uh, I, that, so that you brought it home to me in a different way. I appreciate that. Thank you, Kathy. You know, even for myself, I'm still trying to understand or experience, I should say, because we can't intellectually understand the experience of the Dharma. Our teachings tell us this, but we try to enter it through our intellectual understanding. But I'm still um, wondering about the experience, the turning in the relationship, that experience. So I'm still working with that. Um, Ian, I'm sorry, you had your hand up for a while. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. You said you were working with the Lotus Sutra with a different group, and I was wondering if you could elaborate on how you would connect that to the story of the first ancestor. Then nothing would have happened without their relationship. And the Lotus Sutra... brings forth the importance of our relationships. And then it goes on to talk about the importance of skillful means within our relationships. But it encourages us not to um, push away any beings. And it encourages us to Try to embrace the positive aspects of every person's experience, whatever they feel their path is. You know, with all of these teachings, you could focus on any, any small aspect of them. So in this regard, and, and that goes with the um, Mahakashyapa story and this story of Kwekat and Bodhidharma. I, I chose to focus on the relationship, the creation of a, of a relationship throughout all three of those teachings because I feel it's the most relevant for our time that we don't shut down and push other people away because it's getting hard not to do that. And that um, it's the easiest for all of us to try to access and practice because we are all in relationship to all kinds of people all the time. So the relationship between a student and teacher is the emphasis on both of the, the parables you brought up. Uh, what is the relationship between a student and a teacher? Yes, what is it? See, I'm answering you like Tiger. 
You know, I, I only know this, Ian, from teaching. And this goes back to I started teaching Kung Fu before I started formally practicing Zen. I always have felt that something unexplainable and magical is happening in that relationship when I teach. And I, for ever since I've been teaching, I've been teaching for over 20 years and trying to figure out what it is. But I know it's, it's, a, it's transcendent, and I know it's, it's extremely important, but I couldn't tell you why. So the Lotus Sutra is telling me a little bit why, but it's not really giving me a concrete answer because Buddhism doesn't, you know? That came right from the Buddha. Figure it out for yourself. They just give us guidance and direction, but we will not get concrete answers because we don't want to cling. Is a teacher anyone that we say is a teacher? Say it again, please. Is a teacher anyone that we say is a teacher? So if we're like, okay, well, I accept you as my teacher, is that that's all we have to do? Or is there is there some sort of I don't know. When you go to a grocery store and you ask someone who works there where the ice cream is and they point you in that direction, you could accept them as a teacher in that moment. Of Zen. So I think, Tygen, if you have anything to add, but it's probably time for us to go back into Sashin. Just thank you for talking about the intimacy of Zen practice, which is in relationship. And please return to Sashin, everyone who's in the sitting for the day, and enjoy uh, your breath. Enjoy your sitting. Enjoy being present with everyone else. Thank you. David, if you could be kind enough to lead us in the four Bodhisattva. Yes, I will uh, screen share the text of the four Bodhisattva vows. And after we do that chant together, um, I'll open up a breakout room and everyone who is not a participant in the, in the session will be invited to go to the breakout room so that if you want to announcements and, and some of the other things for the regular Sunday morning. And with that, I will um, share. And please make sure that you're uh, that you're let's see. Okay. Or Bodhisattva vows. Is it visible? I hope. And the chant. Beings are numberless, I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless, I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable, I vow to realize it. Beings are numberless, I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to end them. 
Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to realize it. Beings are numberless. I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to realize it.